0: The following message was given at Emmanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. Well, if uh, tomorrow, just uh, a scenario in your mind, if tomorrow you had a meeting with the President of the United States of America in the Oval Office of the White House, how would you dress yourself? Well, I hope you would get a haircut and take a shower Clean yourself up and put on the best thing that you owned, right? It's important how we look in front of and before the highest human authorities and powers of this world. But how would you dress yourself if tomorrow you had a meeting, not with a king or a president or a prime minister, but you had a meeting with the king of kings and the Lord of lords in his heavenly courtroom? What would you need to do to yourself to make yourself acceptable and presentable and pleasing in the holy sight of God? Well, in the Beatitudes, and specifically in the sixth Beatitude, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ tells us what we must look like if we want to ever enter into the blessed and awesome presence of God it doesn't have anything to do with how we look on the outside but it has everything to do with the condition of our hearts so with this in mind please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and specifically verse 8 Matthew 5 verse 8 this is the greatest sermon ever recorded preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. But listen to these soul-stirring words, Matthew 5, verse 8. Jesus declares, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, in our time together this morning, I want us to look at this beatitude under two main headings. The first is the explanation of this beatitude and then secondly, some applications from this beatitude. But before we begin, let's pray once more and ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we recognize that all of Scripture uh, is breathed out by you and is profitable to our souls. But we acknowledge that the beatitudes especially and particularly profitable to our souls Um, we we ask that you would help us to take our sandals and shoes off for we are standing in a very holy place and we ask that you would give us ears to hear these blessed words that came out of the mouth of our Savior 2000 years ago and still continue to come out of his mouth to this very day please Holy Spirit come lighten our minds Humble us, show us our own poverty of spirit, and help us to match the blessed description here of those who are pure in heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the explanation of this beatitude. And here I want us to look at the explanation of this beatitude under three points. First, the meaning of purity. Secondly, the realm or the sphere of this purity, and then thirdly, the blessing that is attached to this purity. So first, the meaning of purity here. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, or happy are the pure in heart, or highly favored by God are the pure in heart. But what does it mean to be pure? Well, the basic meaning of this word purity, or to be pure, means to be free from contamination, or pollution, or corruption. Anything that might pollute us, contaminate us, corrupt us, it means being free from all those sort of things. Similar words in the Bible include clean, unstained, undefiled, and unsoiled, or sometimes even holy. So in the Bible, there are various things that are called pure. For instance, we think of refined gold and silver, that has all the dross removed from it. We might think of white snow that has no mud or sticks or rocks mixed into it. We may think of clean garments with no stains upon them at all. Or clear water that contains no impurities. Or white wool that has no discolorations. That gives us a sense or or illustrations of what purity is all about. It means, again, again, Something that is not mixed with other things. It's unmixed, it's undiluted, it's uncontaminated, it's undefiled. That's what purity means. But when Jesus says pure here, blessed are the pure in heart, he is not talking about things. He's not talking about wool, he's not talking about water, he's not talking about garments, he's not talking about precious metals. He's talking about people. He's talking about people that are to be pure. And not pure physically, like somehow they took a shower, or a bath, they cleaned off the dirt or the sand from on them. And he's not talking about them being pure ceremonially, like we see in the Old Testament all the time. Being ceremonially cleansed from skin diseases or defilements that came upon people because they touched dead carcasses. No, here Jesus is speaking about moral purity. Inward purity purity. Soul purity. He's talking about being cleansed from the contaminating and defiling stain of sin and hypocrisy and evil and wickedness. Because he says here, blessed are the pure in heart. So that's the realm or the sphere of this purity. It's those who are pure in heart. So Mere external purity is not the realm or sphere or arena of this kind of purity Jesus is speaking of. Think of the scribes and Pharisees with me for a moment. They had an external kind of purity. They had this outward show of cleanliness, godliness, purity, before the eyes of men. That was really important for them to look righteous and holy and pure in the sight of other people. Remember, they were circumcised. They kept themselves far away from lepers and tax collectors and Gentiles and sinners and prostitutes. And they even went above and beyond the ceremonial law of the Old Testament and following the tradition of the elders, doing things like religiously washing their hands before every single meal. They thought this sort of stuff purified them. But the purity that Jesus refers to here is not skin deep. It's not talking about the purification of the flesh. He is talking about the purification of the heart. The heart, which is the core of our beings. It's the core of our personalities. The heart is where the springs of life flow from. That's what the scriptures tell us. The words that come out of our mouths proceed first from the heart. Our thoughts, our plans, our feelings, our motives, our intentions all occur within the realm of the heart. It's the part of us that makes moral decisions. It's the part of us that then directs the members of our bodies, the parts of our bodies to carry out those decisions. So think of the heart as sitting in the driver's seat of our beings. Think of the heart as the motherboard and control center that initiates and directs the way we live our lives. And Jesus is telling us here in this beatitude that only the pure in heart are blessed people. Only those who are pure in their very innermost being. Those whose hearts are cleansed from sin and wickedness and defilement. And those whose hearts are full of pure and holy and sincere and righteous desires are part of the blessed people. Only those who have clear, pure springs of water flowing from their hearts are considered blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Happy, again, highly favored by God. But Jesus tells us what makes them so blessed. And it's in the second half of this beatitude. They are so blessed because they shall see God. That's the great blessing attached to those who are pure in heart. They shall see God. This little phrase for they shall see God, I think, really encapsulates uh, all of religion. In fact, it sums up our very purpose for living in this world. The very reason why God made us was so that we could see Him. It's the goal of life. Theologians have labeled this the beatific vision or the seeing of God, which will make us perfectly and eternally happy and satisfied and blessed. But what exactly does it mean to see God? Well, let me tell you what I think it doesn't mean and then what I think it does mean. First, it doesn't mean to somehow be able to peer into the very divine essence and nature of God. You know, a lot of people out there think of God as simply the man upstairs. Just think of... Michelangelo's famous painting of the creation of Adam, it's on the Sistine Chapel. But there you have Adam touching fingers with this older man with white flowing hair and a big long beard. That's a lot of people's conception of God. Well, those are all clear violations of the second commandment. Because God in His divine essence is a spirit. He does not have a material body like man. He doesn't literally have eyes and ears and a nose and a mouth and a beard and hands and feet. Remember, our God is eternal. He's immaterial. He is invisible. He is spiritual. As 1 Timothy 6, 15-16 says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So Jesus is not telling us here that the pure in heart have the blessed privilege of peering into the divine essence and nature of God. But he, I don't think he also means that we, can, we will somehow see a, a visible manifestation of God. Remember in the Old Testament, God revealed Himself in many ways, but one of the ways He revealed Himself was in theophanies. Sometimes as the angel of the Lord. Sometimes in human form. Sometimes in a cloud of pillar uh, of, of fire. Or the glory cloud that appeared in the tabernacle in the temple. And in this sense, people saw God. Because they saw some sort of visible manifestation of God. But I don't think Jesus is speaking about this in this beatitude. Because remember, impure people with impure hearts saw these theophanies in the Old Testament. They saw him at Mount Sinai, they saw them in the wilderness, they saw them in the tabernacle, they saw them in the temple. But many of those people died in the wilderness under the wrath of God. And so this is a, this is a blessing only reserved for those who are pure in heart. So I think it's something a little bit different than that. But I also don't think Jesus means seeing the God-man in general. What's even greater than those Old Testament theophanies is the sending of the second person of the Trinity into this creation, taking on human flesh. He didn't just appear in human form, but He actually took upon Himself a human nature so that when you look at the person of Jesus Christ, you see God. He is the God-man. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So it's a great blessing to see God in the flesh. It was a great blessing for all of those people who lived 2,000 years ago to lay their eyes upon the God-man. But I don't think seeing the God-man in general is the blessedness Jesus is referring to. Now certainly, the pure in heart will be supremely blessed blessed and happy and full of joy when they behold the glory of their risen and exalted Savior in heaven and in the new heavens and the new earth. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. we'll, We'll be staring face to face at our glorified Savior, and that will be wonderful. But just seeing Him in general, as He walked upon the earth, as He ministered to others, as He healed the sick, as He worked miracles, as He preached this great Sermon on the Mount, does not make people blessed. Because again, many people with impure hearts laid their eyes upon the God-man as He preached this very sermon. Many were staring at Him, many were hearing His words, and yet many had hard, impure, filthy hearts. Some of them probably were those who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Who hated him. Or only sought after him because they wanted bread and fish. We know that when Christ comes again, every eye will see him. But for those who are outside of Christ, for those who have impure hearts, it will not be a blessed day for them. It will be a horrible and terrible day when they see this exalted king coming, not to save them, but to judge them and to cast them into the fires of hell forever. So I don't think he's talking about just seeing the God-man in general, but this is what I think Jesus means when he says, for they shall see God. I think he means that they will savingly know God, and they will dwell with God, and they will worship God, and they will glorify God, and they will enjoy God forever. The verb here, to see, doesn't always have to mean to see something with your physical eyes. A lot of times this verb is used to mean to perceive or to know something. Not to see with your physical eyes, but to see something with the eyes of your heart and with the eyes of your soul. It can mean to understand something, to comprehend something, to appreciate something. Even to be impacted by something and to experience something. Let me just give you a couple examples. And both come from John chapter 3. But Jesus says this to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then a couple verses later, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, I think seeing the kingdom of God, entering the kingdom of God are basically the same thing. So Jesus is not saying that somehow if you're born again, you're going to literally see a kingdom with your eyes right then and there. The gates, the walls, the streets. He's saying you're going to enter the kingdom. You're going to enjoy the blessedness of the kingdom. You're going to experience all that the kingdom has to offer you if you are born again. But I think we see a similar thing in John 3.36. John the Baptist says this to Jesus... Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, seeing life here does not mean seeing it with your physical eyes. Right? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life right then and there, but it's not necessarily something that you can observe with your own eyes. But seeing there means that you will experience eternal life. You will enjoy eternal life in your whole being. And so here in this beatitude, when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, I think Jesus is using the word to see in a similar way, as we saw there in John chapter 3. He's not saying that we will physically see God with our eyes, but he is saying that we will perceive God, and we will know God, and we will experience God, and we will enjoy God. And we will commune with God forever. That happens in a lot lots of ways. It happens right here and right now on earth. Right? When somebody is saved, the eyes of their hearts are opened. When they have a pure heart, their, their eyes are open to see God for who He truly is. Right? Their, their, their minds are in darkened and their eyes are shut closed when they're outside of Christ. They live as if God is dead. They live as if they themselves are God. But those who have pure hearts will see God's glory in all of life. They will see His fingerprints all over creation. They will hear His voice speaking to them in the Bible. They will see His hand providentially leading and guiding them. They will see His wisdom in structuring and ordering the universe. They will see His goodness in providing for all His creatures. They will see His justice when evildoers are punished. They will see His law as a delight to their souls and as a road map to live by. They will see the gospel of Christ as truly good news, something to be believed upon and trusted in. They will see the plan of God unfolding throughout human history. In essence, those who have pure hearts will live quorum Deo before the face of God not literally literally seeing his face, but knowing that God is there and drawing near to God and loving him and enjoying him for all of life. But most importantly, they will see God in his holy temple. They will be given special access into God's holy presence to worship and glorify and enjoy him forever. Those who have pure hearts are given this special privilege that the doors to God's holy house are flung open for these people and they can now approach the living and true God and worship Him for all eternity. They can come into God's temple and behold His beauty, His holiness, His power, His glory, His grace, and His love. They can draw near to God and they can know the true God as their God as their friend, as their chief happiness, as their greatest good. Again, this has been the plan and purpose of God from the very beginning of time. That He's made us in His image so that we might see Him in this way. Think of Him in the Garden of Eden. He's there walking with Adam and Eve, drawing close and drawing near to those that He had just made and created and sustained. He has this close, intimate relationship with them before the fall. He appeared and spoke to the patriarchs at altars. Read about it with Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He came down on Mount Sinai and met with Moses and the Israelites. And he dwelt in the tabernacle and the temple. And so I think Jesus teaches us here that God draws near and he reveals himself to those who are pure in heart. They are the blessed ones that Psalm 24 speaks about. Those who shall ascend the hill of the Lord. Those who shall stand in the holy place of God. And those who will behold His face. Psalm 24, 3-6 says this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Well, it's those who are pure in heart who will receive this special blessing from the Lord. They are the blessed ones because they shall behold the face of God in his holy temple forever. They can do it through prayer. They can do it through coming to the corporate worship of God Sunday to Sunday. But ultimately, they will do it in the life to come. They see God now. They commune with God now. They fellowship with Him now. But oh, how they will do that in perfect happiness and blessedness in the life to come. We read in the book of Revelation that all the inhabitants of the new heavens and the new earth, which is God's cosmic dwelling place, will all be pure in heart. We're told that nothing unclean and impure in that place uh, will dwell in that place. Instead, the holy saints who are arrayed in white and pure robes will see and worship God for all eternity. Revelation 22, 3-5 says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or la- of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. On that day, those who are pure in heart shall see the light of God's gracious and glorious face as bright and clear as the noonday sun. They will finally be face to face with God. Not partially, not dimly, But clearly for all eternity listen to what Martin Lord Jones says he makes an application of this in his uh, sermons on the sermon on the mount but he says this if we but grasp this it would revolutionize our lives you and I are meant for the audience chamber of God you and I are being prepared to enter into the presence of the king of kings do you believe it Do you know it as true of you? Do you realize that a day is coming when you are going to see the blessed God face to face? Not as in a glass darkly, but face to face. Surely the moment we grasp this, everything else pales into insignificance. Sometimes we can get so worried and caught up with the things of this life and we can make them to be the number one priority in our life, but we forget this vital truth that God is preparing all of those who are pure in heart to see Him face to face. Surely, as we think about this and meditate upon this, all of our troubles, all of our trials, all of our worldly concerns should melt away. Our goal, our purpose is to see God face to face. And for those who are pure in heart, they can have this great promise well that's the explanation of this beatitude but secondly let's draw some applications from it the first is this how do i become pure in heart this should be the question all of us should be thinking and needing answered This is a great blessing for those who are pure in heart. But how can this be true of me? How can I have a pure heart? Well, let me tell you how you can have a pure heart. First, it doesn't come by nature. I hope none of us here think that we are pure by nature. Because we aren't. We are born into a cesspool full of of stinking, rotting sin. We're covered in iniquity. Our hearts are full of evil. We are impure with much transgression. We are unclean and there is much iniquity in us. We should all be good Calvinists here and we should all believe in total depravity. It's true. Not just because the scriptures declare it, but we should all feel it within our own hearts and souls that we are impure, that we are filthy. But to shine even more light on the condition of our hearts, listen to what the Word of God says. This is what the prophet Jeremiah says about our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is what the Apostle Paul says about our hearts. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's talking about every one of us. And this is what God says about our hearts, Genesis 6 or Genesis 8. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So what does the word word of God say about our hearts? Well, it says by nature we have deceitful hearts, we have sick hearts, we have foolish hearts, we have dark hearts, We have evil hearts. Very plain, clear assertions that we are not pure by nature. But listen to these assertions in the book of Job. That makes it crystal clear that none of us are pure before our holy maker. Job 4, 17 through 19. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants, he puts no trust in his angels, he charges with air. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth? Job fifteen: fourteen through sixteen. What is man that he can be pure, or he who is a born of a woman, that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. Or Job 25, 4-6. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure Behold, even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. See, we read this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's wonderful. But the first thing it should make us do is say, I don't match that description at all. There's something desperately wrong with me. Oh, it'd be great to be pure in heart. But right here, the book of Job says we're less than worms. We're less than maggots before God. Right? We're as as vile as these little things are that we see them and they're disgusting in our sight, and they're they're you know eating away dead, decaying carcasses, and it's filthy and it's and it's dirty. Well, God looks at us in a similar way. God is so pure. That compared to him, the holy angels and the bright moon and stars are full of impurity and darkness. He even charges his holy ones with air. I mean, there's just a vast difference between God and his creation, even holy angels. But what about those who drink injustice down like water, like us? We are not pure before our Maker. From the womb to the tomb, we are impure sinners. And so we must not look inward to find any purity for ourselves. Our hearts are not fountains spraying out clear drinkable water. Instead, they are stinking pools of raw sewage. That's why they will be this way forever and ever if we are left to ourselves. So we cannot look inwardly. There's no bright light shining within us. There's nothing within us that will present us before this holy and pure God. But secondly, purity doesn't come by our works. If we can't look within to find purity, we might think all we have to do is look to our hands and get to work scrubbing off the sin that's found in our hearts and souls by doing good deeds. As I said earlier, the scribes and the Pharisees worked really, really hard to try to make themselves pure problem was their purity was only skin deep. Their purity was all outward. Listen to what Jesus says about them in Matthew 23 verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So they were like nice, shiny, clean cups on the outside, or... Or, or, or nicely painted white tombs on the outside. But Jesus said inwardly, they did not have pure hearts. Right? They were like a rotting, stinking, dead body. Because of how impure, how greedy, how full of sin they truly were. They tried to make themselves pure by their supposed good works, but it was all in vain. But here's the thing, brethren and friends. The same is true for us. We are no better than the scribes and Pharisees, and we are deceiving ourselves if we think we can clean ourselves up and make ourselves presentable before God. We're familiar with with what the prophet Isaiah says about all of our supposed good works, all of our efforts to purify ourselves, but listen to it again. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Even the best of our works are so stained with sin and impurity that they are like filthy, polluted rags in the sight of God. So here's the thing. No matter what we do, we are unclean. And in fact, the harder that we try to clean ourselves up, the worse we actually become. It goes against all human reasoning. We think that we can do something to make ourselves right before God. We can do something to purify ourselves. But it makes us more sinful. And so as the prophet Isaiah says, when we compare ourselves to the holy God, when he sees God seated on his throne, high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6, we need to say along with him, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man. Of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So we must come to the point to say that purity cannot be found within, and purity cannot be worked out by us. So here's the great question How can we be made pure in heart? Not by looking within, not by looking at our own hands, but here's how you can become pure in heart by looking to the grace of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way we can be pure in heart is by getting a new heart by the sovereign and powerful grace of God at work within us. We are not pure, and we cannot purify ourselves, but the good news is God has the power to purify us. God has the power to remove our filthy hearts and give us a pure heart and a right spirit before Him. In the book of Ezekiel, listen to what God promises to do for impure, unclean, filthy sinners. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. What a wonderful promise. <laughs> that God is the one who's going to do this. He doesn't lay down all these rules and regulations for, for, for us to, to, to obey and clean ourselves up. But God says, I will do it. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will purify you. And when we get to the New Testament, we learn that the exact way God purifies sinners is through the pure and spotless blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The accomplishment of the promise, I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will give you a new heart comes in the sprinkling of the clean blood of Jesus Christ upon our impure hearts. The New Testament is clear that the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can purify us in the sight of God. And the whole Old Testament sacrificial system pointing forward to this foreshadowed it remember ceremonial cleanness was a big deal in the old testament that you had to be purified at least outwardly to be given the right to enter into the tabernacle in the temple and remember all the different various laws and rules and regulations but all of those things pointed forward to the coming of jesus christ Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the blood of sacrifice animals was sprinkled on everything and everyone in the Old Testament to make them clean and pure and fit to be in God's special presence in the tabernacle and temple. But this was all pointing forward to what Christ would do on the cross. Christ left the pure glories of heaven to come and rescue sinners from the slop and filth and pigsty of their sins. He came to do this by shedding His own pure, precious, powerful blood. Truly Christ is the bloody sacrifice whose death purifies sinners in the sight of the pure and holy eyes of God. Not just ceremonially, but morally. Not just physically, but spiritually. Not just outwardly, but inwardly. Not just temporally, but eternally. Truly, Jesus has made purification for sins. Truly, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Truly, the blood of Jesus Christ can purify us and make us into His special possession, those people who are zealous for good works. So if you want a pure heart, and if you want a pure conscience, and if you want a pure standing before God, you must be purified by faith in Jesus Christ. You must take the blood of Christ and be washed in it. It is the only thing powerful enough to remove the stain of sin upon your soul and to make you spotless and without blemish before God. I love the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. There's a lot of great hymns that have to do with this whole issue of being purified in the blood of Christ, but there is a fountain filled with blood certainly fits that description. But the first line goes, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains all right we have to humble ourselves and come to the realization that we all have guilty stains upon our souls all of us do but there is a fountain filled with blood that can wash them away forever kids have you ever been to a splash park or a splash pad where they might have a big bucket that fills up with water. Well, what do you kids like to do when that bucket is almost full? You like to run underneath it. Why? Because that bucket is going to pour all that water down upon your head. Well, in a spiritual way, you children, you need to run to Jesus Christ in that way. You need to have the blood of Jesus Christ dumped all over you to cover you, to cleanse you, to purify you, to make you spotless before the face of God. Don't be like proud nay men in the Old Testament. Remember the story of him. At first, (laughs) he refused to go dip himself in the Jordan water to cleanse himself of all that leprosy. He was above all of that. He thought the prophet Elijah could just call upon the name of the Lord and then he could be cleansed instantaneously. But Elijah, they said, no, you need to go dip your, Elijah said, you need to go dip yourself in that water seven times. Don't be like proud Naaman. Right? Go to those waters. Go to that fountain. Plunge yourself beneath that flood. Run to Jesus Christ and you will lose all your guilty stains. This is the first thing you must do to become pure in the sight of God. This will give you a pure heart. This will give you strength to live a pure life. And this will give you the right and title to see the face of God in his pure heaven for all eternity. So how can I have a pure heart? It must be purified by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Only way, there's no other way But secondly, I want to ask the question, how do I know that I am pure in heart? It's a little bit different question than the first. The first had to deal with faith. The second one has to do with assurance. How do I know personally? How can I be certain that what's beating inside my chest is a pure heart? Well, first, have you washed yourself in the blood of Christ? That should go without saying. But we can stand back and we can admire the blood of Christ and we can say all nice things about the blood of Christ and we can say, oh yes, surely it can purify me of all my sins. But have you washed yourself in that blood? Have you passed through those cleansing and healing streams? Have you confessed to God that you are a poor, miserable, vile sinner with no ability to cleanse yourself and purify yourself? And have you gone directly to Jesus Christ in faith to be cleansed of all your sins? If you want to know that you have a pure heart, you must first sincerely and wholeheartedly believe that Christ and Christ alone saves you. You must renounce all your works. You must say that the waters of baptism will not cleanse you you must say that nothing you have ever done or will do can cleanse you of your sins you must say nothing but the blood of Jesus and entrust yourself entirely to that blood so that's the first thing but the second is this do you seek to live a pure life There's a lot of cheap views of God's grace out there and because of these cheap views of God's grace there can be a disconnect in a lot of people's minds between justification and sanctification. As if justification is absolutely necessary to be saved but sanctification is merely optional. That somehow we can be purified by the blood of Jesus Christ but still live in the filth of our sins. Well of course we must never mix up the work of Christ for us and the work of Christ in us. There's a vital distinction there. But we must never separate these things. They go hand in hand. God has joined these two things together. Let not man separate. I think that we see that here in this beatitude. A purified heart is going to be cleansed of sin. Of filth. Jesus' blood is like a great flood, and when that flood rushes into our hearts and souls, it washes away all the filth, all the foulness, all the stench of sin that disgusts our holy God. It breaks the enslaving power of sin that reigned over us. Right? Jesus really, truly rescues people from the slop and pigsty of their sin, And that blood makes our hearts a fit place for the King of glory to dwell. So every purified heart has the holy and pure and glorious Jesus Christ reigning over it. He is enthroned there, He lives there, He is in control there, and He is at work there to purify us more and more and more until we are just like Him. Till we shall see Him as He is. He is pure, and we will be made completely pure one day. So... It's true that a purified heart is not a perfected heart. We have to realize there is this thing called remaining sin. That we live in a body of death as long as we are in this fallen, sinful world. And we're always going to have a heart that is plagued with sin. Remember the other Beatitudes that Jesus speaks of are also true of someone who is pure in heart. They're also poor in spirit which means they recognize that they are utterly bankrupt before the holy and righteous God. And they mourn, not just over tragedies, but they mourn over their remaining sin. And they are meek or lowly and humble. Their face is always to the dust. So you can be pure in heart and also poor in spirit at the same time. So we're not talking about a perfected heart here. But remember, a purified heart is still a purified heart. It's a heart that contains genuine desires to be all in for the Lord. It's a heart that is simply and sincerely devoted to Jesus Christ. It's a heart that longs to be completely rid of all the polluting and contaminating effects of sin. And it's a heart that delights in the thought of spending eternity in the holy and pure presence of God. And it's a heart that leads to a pure life. Remember, purity cannot stay bottled up. It cannot remain hidden in our hearts. It will be manifested in the way that we live our lives. So for all who believe your hearts have been purified by the blood of Christ, think about some of these things. Do you also have pure motives? I think purity has a lot to do with being genuine and sincere It means not being double-hearted or double-minded. It means not being a hypocrite. It means not looking a certain way on the outside, but on the inside being a totally different person like the scribes and the Pharisees. So we need to check our motives. Do we have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ? One that's comprehensive, one that's consistent, one that's conscientious. Do we really love Him? And do we really seek his glory and desire his praise? Or do you follow Christ for other reasons? Do you follow Christ because you want some sort of worldly benefit out of being a Christian? Or do you follow Christ because you want to impress others? Or do you follow Christ because you feel the peer pressure of being in a church where many people confess to be Christians? Or because you're simply scared of the alternatives? well, everybody in my family's a Christian. My mom and dad are Christians. My grandparents are Christians. My friends are Christians. So I need to be a Christian then. We need to check our motives. But secondly, do you have pure eyes? It said of God in Habakkuk one thirteen, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, meaning God cannot look upon wrongdoing and evil with pleasure, approval, delight, because his eyes are so pure. Well, are your eyes like this as well? Too pure to take delight in seeing evil and wrongdoing? Are you like Job who made a covenant with his eyes not to gaze upon another woman with lust? Or are you like David who prayed to the Lord, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways? What do your eyes look at? What do they stare at? What do they delight in? Full of lust, greed, haughtiness, boastfulness, pride? Or the fear of eyes, or the fear of God before your eyes? We need to ask ourselves these questions. Do you also have a pure mouth? In Zephaniah 3 9, God says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. When God saves somebody, He cleanses their dirty, defiled hearts, but He also cleanses their dirty and defiled mouths. He gives them a a pure speech, a speech that honors and glorifies Him. So, what's coming out of mouth gate? What are the words like that originate from your heart and come out of your mouth? Are they truthful? words or are they full of slander lies curses and deceit are they gracious and uplifting and upbuilding or are they cruel and harsh and destructive are they wholesome and virtuous or are they perverse and crude and lastly do you have pure hands in psalm 24 a pure heart and clean hands are paired together i think clean hands means pure conduct purity in the things that you do with your hands, are they pure? Are your hands devoted to pure and honorable things? Are they folded in prayer? Are they lifted up and stretched out in praise to God? Are they clutching the two-edged sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Are they open to the needy? Are they embracing your spouse and your children? And are they put to the plow? for the kingdom of God and for the good of your families. you have clean hands or do you have idle hands folded to rest? Do you have violent hands clenched to punch somebody and to fight another person? Do you have defiled hands stretched out to do wrong? Brethren, please consider these things. I think they can help reveal what kind of heart you have beating within your own chest. Again, if we have purified hearts, we must seek to live purified lives. The two go hand in hand. Because if a person says he's been purified by the blood of Christ but does not care about living a pure and holy life, he's deceived himself. He believes a lie. I think somewhat of a parallel passage is found in Hebrews 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for holiness, or we could say, strive for purity, without which no one will see the Lord. you want to see God one day? Well, if your heart has been purified by the blood of Christ, we must strive for purity in this life, because people can say they're Christians all they want, but if they are not also striving for purity Their hope of seeing the Lord in heavenly bliss and glory is all in vain. Where's the last thing I'd like to say? And it's this What will happen to me if I don't become pure in heart? Well, the implication of the text is you are not blessed, but you are cursed. And you will see God one day, but you won't see him in his holy temple. You won't see him in his holy heaven. Instead, you will see him on the day of judgment, sitting on his judgment seat. And instead of seeing him as your friend and savior, you will see him as your awful judge. Instead of seeing his smile, you will see his frown. Instead of hearing his commendation, you will hear your own condemnation instead of feeling His good hand leading and guiding you into eternal glory, you will feel His strong and mighty hand crushing you and casting you into the pits of hell. If you're outside of Christ and you're here today, remember the eyes of God are too pure to look upon your sin in His holy dwelling place. And here's the thing, your eyes are too impure to look upon His holiness in heaven. The two will never mix. God cannot look upon impure people with delight and impure people cannot look upon the pure face of God with pleasure and happiness. God doesn't want your filthy hands dirtying up everything in his holy place and you certainly don't want to be stuck in a pure and spotless place for all eternity. But listen, I think this just shows how blind you are And how your sins have closed your eyes so tight to the glory of God. Dear friend, you were made in the image of God. You were made to think great thoughts of God. You were made to worship God. You were made to commune with God. You were made to be close to God. You were made to see God. You were made to find your supreme delight and happiness in seeing the face of God. But your sin has separated you far, far, far from Him. Your sin has blinded you to His glory. Maybe you're one here today who's struggled so long with being filthy, having impure thoughts and filthy words and defiling passions and shameful actions. Maybe you know how impure and dirty you are in the sight of God, but you feel absolutely hopeless. You say, I don't know how to live another life. I've been so entrenched in this filth, I have no way of knowing. How to get out of it. I have no way of knowing how to be cleansed from all these things. Well, here's the thing this is the testimony of some of us sitting here right now that we felt that very way, that we had lived so many years in the filth and the dirtiness and the shamefulness of our sin, and we didn't know another way. But here's good news to you, friend there is a way back to God, there is a way that leads straight into heaven. There is a way that you can be free from all the filth of this world. There is a highway of holiness paved by the blood of Jesus Christ that leads straight into the holy places of God where you can see God for all eternity. What you need to do is leave the darkness behind. Leave the filth behind. Leave that cesspool of sin behind. Cast away your sins to the moles and the bats and come to Jesus Christ. This is what he says to you now. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Friend, do the most reasonable thing you could ever do to yourself right here and right now, which is believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe upon Christ Be washed in His blood, and the promise to you is, you will be made as white as snow. It may be hard for you to believe, but if you truly entrust yourself to this gracious and glorious Savior, you will be purified, and you will be full of His pure and Holy Spirit who will help you get out of the filth of your own sin. Be cleansed of your sins and have the eyes of your heart open to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Dear sinner, please run to that blood and rest in that blood forevermore. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made a way for impure sinners like ourselves to see your face for all eternity. Thank you that that does not come from us for Lord, we would be hopelessly lost But thank you that Jesus Christ has come to rescue us from our sins and cleanse us from our sins and purify us to be his special possession through the shedding of his precious blood upon the cross. Oh, help your people to rejoice ever more in this and help us to be ever more motivated to live pure lives. For those who are outside of Christ, oh, we beg and we plead that today would be the day of salvation for them that you would open up their eyes to see the glory of the gospel of Christ, and that, Lord Jesus, you would come down and rescue them even now from the filth of their own sins. Oh, Lord, may you make many here pure in heart so that they might have that blessing given to them, for they shall see God. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.